today we're going to be talking with you. We've talked about a variety of different types of prayers. We've talked about bold prayers. In other words, asking God for things that were possible. And just like the children of Israel circled the walls of Jericho and kept circling him until the walls fell, we ask God bold prayers and keep believing him until he answers and shows himself strong on our behalf. We talked about persistent prayers. We use the idea of the widow seeking justice from the judge. And we keep asking and we keep seeking and we keep knocking. We talked about wrestling in prayer. The Apostle Paul refers to Epaphras. And he says that he was always wrestling in prayer for the churches. We talked about long-term prayer. And in long-term prayer, we see prayer as the planting of a seed that will continually produce a harvest for generations to come. And I hope we understand that. I hope that we get, that's one that excites me, that we view prayer as a planting of a seed that is going to produce a continual harvest for generations to come. The beautiful thing is you and I are going to reap where we've not sown. There's going to be answers to prayer that are going to come into our lives as a result of godly men and women who've prayed over this valley, this community that we live in. There's going to be answers to prayer from people who have prayed for America, from other countries. We are going to experience those answers to prayer. Some of your grandparents and great-grandparents and some of the saints who have passed on before have interceded with God on behalf of our church or on behalf of their descendants, on behalf of this nation, on behalf of this community. And you and I are going to reap. I want you to expect it. I want you to expect to reap where you've not sown. It's a biblical principle. And so today there's an, another type of prayer I want you to consider. One that many people try to avoid. If you think many people choose prayer as a last resort after they have tried everything. Do you know some people who are like that? After they've tried everything else, after they've ran everywhere else, after they've done everything else, then they say, okay, I'll pray. It's kind of like the last resort. You may as well try it. Nothing else has worked. Tried to fix it myself. I've read all the books. I've done all the posts that I think I'm supposed to do. So we may as well try it. If you think there's a lot of people who do that, then this type of prayer is probably one of the last of the last resorts. The flesh, and please listen, the flesh hates this kind of prayer. When all else fails and We've tried everything and there's nowhere else to turn. Then and only then are some people willing to turn to this prayer. The psalmist prayed it in Psalms 139, verse 23. And if you have your Bibles there or if you're looking at you version, you, you can get it on your phones. He says this, Search me, O God, and test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is an offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Listen to what he said. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thought. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord Jesus, I just pray for the next few moments that as we shut ourselves in with you, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church. 
I pray, God, that we would respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit who is speaking to us through your word. And I pray that your word would find a good place in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, God does not need, I want to say something to you from the get-go. God does not need to search your heart. It's not for God's purposes that we need God to search our hearts. Because he already knows all that is there. He is omniscient. There is nothing that is hidden from him. And he is not surprised or shocked by what he sees or what he finds. The Holy Spirit does not say to the Father, What is this? Where did this come from? I didn't know that was there. He knows absolutely every thought and every intent and every motive of our hearts. Now, a lot of people always get scared because they have this like bad fear that someday they're going to stand before God and there's going to be like a big screen up and God's going to show all of the bad things that they've done in their lives. And they're like, oh, I hope he forgets that one. They think that God's going to expose the motives of their lives and someday they'll be embarrassed. Well, can I be honest with you? If you and I don't repent, there will be a day that we will stand before God and the motives, the attitudes of our heart will be exposed. We're going to give an account of ourselves Unto God. It's much like an accountant. Much like when an accountant comes in and they, and they reconcile the account. And they say, here's where the money was spent. Here's the details. And, and you and I will give an account of ourselves to God. So God knows he doesn't need me to remind him about something in my life. He's not surprised by that. God already knows everything that's there. But we need God to search our hearts. He doesn't need to search my heart because he knows all about it. He's not going to find anything there that he doesn't already know. He's not going to be shocked. He's not going to be embarrassed. He knows it all. There's nothing that's going to surprise him. When we were in Maryland, there was a lady. She had just gotten saved and she started giving. I was up front and she started giving a testimony of her past and the things that she had been involved in. And there was an older lady who was sitting behind her, one row behind her. She was on the second row. She, you know, I mean, she was on fire for God. There was an older lady behind her in the third row, and I'm standing up here, and whenever she starts telling her story, the older lady, she went. And you ever see, like, a snake unhooks its jaw, and its jaw drops, like, to eat something? This lady's jaw, like, it almost like it became unhinged, and it dropped down. And the more the lady tells, she covers her eyes, and then she peeked through. As she's telling her story. And I was sitting there, and I got to be honest, I was probably judging, but I knew about her too. And she was just as bad, and she was still just as bad as what this lady used to be. But she's peeking through her fingers and stuff. And it was so hard not to, like it's hard not to laugh because she's making all these things and this other lady's opening up her heart. God's not surprised. The older lady who was sitting behind this woman who had just given life to Jesus, she was surprised. But God's not surprised about any of those things. We need God not only to search our hearts, but to bring to light, to expose to us, to expose to the light 
those things that are hidden within our lives. When that happens and your heart is exposed, you have several options. You can deny it and act like it's not true. That's what a lot of us want to do. We can deny the truth. God starts exposing, and he says, your attitude's wrong. Well, God, you don't have to say that. I have all these reasons why I should be excused for my attitude. But a lot of times, God doesn't really want to hear the excuses. A lot of times when he deals with us, he's just straightforward and say, hey, your attitude is wrong. Your motives are wrong. You've held bitterness in your heart. and That doesn't belong there. You've made judgments about other people before you've heard the whole story. And the Holy Spirit will speak those things to us, and we desperately need to hear that. But you can deny it and act like it's not true. You can come up with excuses why it's everybody else. Why they don't understand. You can avoid it. You can avoid it and kind of almost like close your ears. Sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks to people and they close their ears and they don't necessarily do it outwardly, but inwardly the Holy Spirit convicts them. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. I don't hear you. And they start talking or they try to avoid it, try to get away from it. But the Holy Spirit is speaking specifically to people and they will close their ears. You can run away from it or you can run away from anyone or anything that points these things out. Now, what I've noticed is this. When the Holy Spirit starts to expose some things in our lives, you know what he'll use? He'll use circumstances and people to expose things in our lives. And so well, if, if I'm with you and you're exposing and God is using you to somehow bring to light the things about me that are wrong, I'm not saying you gossiping about me, but just by our interaction. You know, there's some people who don't want to be around you because your life convicts them and you've not even said a single thing. It's funny when people are living in sin how they don't want to be around the pastor. Now, if the pastor's living in sin, they're cool to hang around him because they're spirits. There's something about their spirits that connect. But when you're living in sin, you do not want to be around people who are walking in holiness because something about it exposes, it exposes you. You don't want to be around that brother or sister who's on fire for the Lord. That family member who's really fired up about God. When you're living in disobedience or sin, you're like, I don't. I mean, they just rub me the wrong way. No wonder they're walking in the light and you're walking in darkness at times. And so that light, that light exposes the things about us. You can get angry. Oftentimes we get angry when you don't want to face the reality of who you really are. When you aren't ready to face your own selfishness. I'm not selfish, God. Do you know all the things that I do? Oh, it makes you mad even to think that, that God would say that you're being selfish. But Lord, what about them? I'm not really concerned about them at the moment. I'm talking to you. And so you can get angry and we can get frustrated with other people because God is showing that I have resentments, I have dishonesty, that I have pride, that I have fear. When we don't want to see 
how we have contributed to the problem. Or there's another option when God begins to expose and bring his light upon our hearts. You can get free. So you can get angry. You can run. You can make excuses. You can do all of those things or you can get free. But the choice really is yours. But you usually can't run away from it and get free. You usually can't blame somebody else and get free. You usually can't become resentful and get free. You can't deny it and get free. Why do we need God to search our hearts and expose them? Because we've been called to live a life of freedom. You've been called to live a life of freedom. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. We're no longer to be enslaved by our selfishness, our pride, our greed, our bitterness, our anger, our resentments, our fears, our insecurities. We're no longer to be enslaved by those things. We are to live a life of freedom. Another issue is that many times we're so focused upon other things that we cannot see our own faults in a situation. We can't see our own mistakes. We can't see how do I contribute to the situation that's going on in my life. Listen to what Jeremiah the prophet said in Jeremiah 17 verse 9. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. So he says that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. We need to pray honestly and fervently that God would allow us to see our true state of affairs. Because in the last days, a lot of people are going to be deceived. Let me say this. If you're going to pray, you and I need to pray fervently that God show me my heart. Oh, I know my heart's good. Well, Jeremiah said that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. That in man's natural state, my sinful nature, I can, you know what? I can do the right thing and have the complete wrong motive. And before God, it's trash. I can be smiling on the outside and filled with rage or anger on the inside. And God sees the heart. I can be driven by wrong things. Fears, anxieties, worries, greed, selfishness. I can be driven by these things. And on the outside, I may look so good. But on the inside, I'm a mess. Now, if we're not going to be deceived in the last days then we need to earnestly contend with God that God, I want you to show me my heart. A lot of us, listen, if I can be honest with you, sometimes I don't want him to show me my heart because I don't want to deal with it. I'm saying, God, you know, I'm just happy. Listen, I'm happy if I'm not doing any like the Big Ten. You know what I mean? As long as I'm not doing the Big Ten, and you may have your list of the big ones. God, you know, I'm just kind of happy. Just kind of let me alone. That's our mentality sometimes. God, you got to get into the motive of why I'm doing it. Isn't it enough that I'm doing it? You have to deal with the motive? Are you serious? Lord, I'm doing the right thing. Why wouldn't you just be happy with that? I mean, why do you keep bugging me about my attitude? I forgave him. Why don't you send me alone now? 
Now you tell me to love them. I don't want to love them. So if we're not careful, we can be doing the right things, outwardly looking good. Everybody else thinks it's okay, but inside we're dying. Inside we're broken. Inside we're torn apart. Another issue is this, that we can deceive ourselves. It's one thing if you deceive other people. But for goodness sakes, why do you want to lie to yourself? Why do you want to believe something that's not true? And so that's the purpose for us, allowing God to search our hearts. Listen to what he says. He says that in the last days, people are going to be deceived, and they're going to believe lies. And Revelations 3 is a great example of this. Revelations 3, verse 17, the Laodicean church. Now, this is the church that we said when we talk about wrestling in prayer. Epaphras, Paul writes about Epaphras, and he says, he's always wrestling in prayer for you. And one of the churches that he was speaking of was the church at Laodicea. He said, he's always wrestling in prayer for you. The Laodicean church in Revelation 3.17, they said this. They said, he says, you say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich in white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. They didn't think they had any need. It's like the person, they're just driving along, they think their gas tank's completely full. They think their gas tank's completely full. They're driving along, and hey, no problem. They're out in the middle of a desert somewhere, just driving along. I'm good, my tank. I believe my tank says full. I'm good. And they don't realize that in a little while, the engine's going to stop running. And they're going to be stranded alongside the road. That's what many people, they're saying, I'm rich. I don't need anything. Everything is going great for me. And then all of a sudden, the wheels fall off. And then they start to question what's happening. And what I want to suggest to you is that before the wheels fall off, that you and I, on a continual basis, position ourselves before God, and we say, God, search me. On a daily basis, God, I'm going to meet with you. And I invite you to do a personal inventory of my heart. I invite you to to the things that are good and the things that are bad. Can I say this too? Many of us have this fear that we're going to disappoint God. Many of us have this fear that, I really don't want to get too close to God because if I get too close to him and if I really commune with him, I'm sure there's things that he's going to say about me that are wrong. I'm sure he's going to be disappointed in some way. Can I tell you who's telling you that? Satan. What I found is is that when I draw near to God, he draws near to me. And whenever he points out something in my life that does not belong there, it is not an accusation. It is not in a beating down. It is in a spirit of compassion and love for me. So when I come to him to draw near to him, when he points those things out, it's not saying you, you, you. That's Satan's job. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. The word says that Jesus ever liveth to make intercession for us. That he's at the right hand of the Father, and he ever lives to make intercession for us. 
And so the Holy Spirit is that guide. And what he wants to do is say to us, you don't want to get down that road. You need to check your oil. Oh, my oil's fine. You ought to check your oil. Oh, you go ahead and you go on your way. She don't have to check her oil. She don't have to, but when the engine blows up, when the engine blows up and she's got to buy a new car, then she's wondering. And yet, if we'll allow the Holy Spirit, what he will do, if you'll take this time, what he will do is he will make adjustments in your life along the way. Kind of like mid-course adjustments. You don't have to stop everything. You don't have to run into the brick wall. You don't have to hit the tree. You don't have to stop and get a whole new vehicle. What he will do in your life is he will guide you and he will direct you. And if you open your heart to him, he'll say to you, you know what? There's some attitudes of selfishness in your life. And I want to change that in you. And what I found is, this is what I found. When God speaks to me, when I open my heart and I go to him in advance and he speaks to me and he shows me things in my life that are ugly, he doesn't turn away from it. He's not ashamed of me. He's not embarrassed about me. I don't feel this sense of rejection. I don't experience this sense of rejection. I feel this genuine sense of overwhelming grace and love that's poured into my life. Satan doesn't want you to go into the presence of God because he knows that if you open your heart up to God and you say, search me, O God, God will point out those things in your life, the Holy Spirit. And he's not going to do everything at one time. Because a lot of us couldn't handle that. He's going to point out something here. He's going to make an adjustment here. He's going to tighten something up over here. He's going to speak to us in this area. And what you will sense is, you will sense the overwhelming grace and love of God, and you will feel more confident to go back to him and to share with him. Satan don't want you doing that. He wants you to think that if you let God look at your heart, he's going to slam you. He's going to expose you. He's going to embarrass you. He's going to humiliate you. Now, that's Satan's job. That's what his job is. His job is to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's his purpose. And so as long as he can keep God's people from drawing near to the Lord and allowing the Lord to expose what's in their heart, because when God points out those things in our heart, at that moment there's an anointing to break that yoke. The Lord has an anointing at that moment that if he points something out to you, he has the grace and the power the power of the Holy Spirit at that moment to bring freedom and liberty into you. It will never be any easier than that moment in time for you to walk in freedom and liberty. The first time God exposes that. It'll never get any easier than that moment. You see, we live in a time of great spiritual deception. And this is what I believe. You may say, Pastor, you're being dramatic. I believe there's a vast array of demonic forces that are being sent out with the mission of deception. They're going to deceive many. And the word says, if it's possible, they will deceive even the very elect. Their purpose is to lie and deceive as many as possible. You see, after people have bought into the deception, it's much easier to take them captive and destroy them. You know, it's like when the enemy comes into a strong man's house. He doesn't tell him when he's coming. He doesn't announce when he's coming. He wants to first bind a strong man. Before he comes into his house and loots his goods, he doesn't say, hey, I'll be over for a fight on Tuesday night. You be ready. He doesn't say that. 
The enemy deceives and he manipulates and he tries to control people and take them captive by deception. And then once he does that, then he's able to plunder their goods. He's able to destroy your marriage. That's how he does it. Takes you captive. He's able to steal away our families and our kids. He's able to steal away our peace. He doesn't come to us usually on day number one and get us to fall into some huge sin. But little by little, he lies to us and lures us away. And one of the things he wants us to think is that God is not good and that God is not gracious and that God is not compassionate and that God is not loving and that God will not forgive you and that God will not receive you. That's what he wants you to think. He wants to alienate you away from the Father. He wants to alienate you away from him and cause you to have these questions in your heart concerning the Father. Well, no, if we really had that talk, God would be disappointed in me. The scripture teaches us this very plainly, that God knows our frame. And he knows that you and I are but dust. And this independence, you see, whenever we don't allow God to search our hearts, what we're trying to do, I'm trying to walk in my own strength and my own power. I'm letting willpower be my guide. And that doesn't last very long. Instead of relying upon the power of the Holy Spirit, the grace of God to empower me. The word tells us that you'll know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. There are many people who are deceived into thinking that they're all right. And what happens is as the more the enemy keeps them, the more the enemy keeps them from truly drawing near to the Father and hearing the voice of God and having that intimate fellowship with God, the more he is able to keep them doing that, then sin has the opportunity to grow in their lives. Then sin has the opportunity, compromise, bitterness, unforgiveness. These things begin to grow. And unfortunately, many people will not come to their senses until it's too late. And they've been shipwrecked. And then they come to their senses and they're saying, how on earth did I get here? Well, friends, you wouldn't have got there if you'd heed the word today. It's when we harden our hearts and God's trying to speak to us. Once again, his purpose is not to condemn or destroy us. His purpose is to give us life. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six says this, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. But whoever walks wisely, he'll be delivered. The person who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Delivered from what? Delivered from the snares of the enemy. Delivered from the traps. Delivered from the lies. Delivered from the bondage. So the person who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but the one who walks wisely will be delivered. The person who is wise. If you want to be wise, you walk with the wise. A wise person receives counsel. Receives instruction. So today we're going to find out what you are. Your response to this message will simply, all it will be is tell us what you are. That's all it'll do. If you receive counsel, if you accept counsel, if you accept godly instruction, then it'll prove that you are wise. If you reject godly instruction, if you choose instead to follow your own, whoa, I, I don't think that works. I don't agree. They already called you what you are. It says you're a fool. When we refuse, when we refuse to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to follow instruction, 
it says we're a fool. When we accept counsel, when we become wise, it leads to deliverance in our lives. Wisdom leads to deliverance. What's foolishness lead to then? What? Destruction. What else? Bondage. Foolishness is going to lead you into further bondage. I want to encourage you to take advice from someone who's been there. David, after sinning with Bathsheba, causing another man's death, sowing seeds of death. Listen to this. He sowed seeds of death and destruction in his own house. He didn't sow seeds of death and destruction in someone else's house. Well, he did. But he sowed those seeds in his very house. That he and his family would reap for generations to come. Came to a great revelation. In Psalms 51 verse 6, he said this. He said, surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. He was a wise man. But unfortunately, it was after he shipwrecked that he comes to this realization. David didn't have to. He didn't have to do the Bathsheba thing. That wasn't the will of God. That wasn't the purpose of God. That wasn't the plan of God. As a result of his sin, destruction came into his family. For us, we don't want to be sowing seeds of death and destruction in our own household. We don't want to be sowing seeds of confusion in our own families that our children will have to reap, that our husband, our wife, that our grandchildren will have to live with the consequences of. Lamentations 3.40, it says, let us search and try our ways and turn again to God. Jeremiah 17, verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Now, the type of prayer I'm asking you to pray I believe what the Holy Spirit's asking you to pray is not one that makes us comfortable initially. Initially, it's not a very comfortable prayer. It's like singing the song, Search me, O God, and know my thoughts today. It's nice to sing that. But then whenever he starts, when it really comes down to I have to look at myself and I have to say, Man, Lord, I didn't even know that was there. I don't like that there. Wow, Lord, I've been doing the right thing for the wrong reason. Some of us have to, when we honestly look at ourselves, see, it's so much easier just to blame someone else. Isn't it? It's so much easier to point a finger at somebody else and accuse them. It's so much easier to compare myself to other people because I can always find someone who's like worse off than me, right? Can't we always do that? God, I thank you that I'm not like so-and-so. Hallelujah. And who prayed that prayer? The guy that we read about this day of the week, the Pharisee prayed that prayer about the public and the tax collector of sinner. And, but who went home justified? The publican goes home justified. And so... As we come to the end of our message here, I just want to, I want to encourage you on a daily basis that you begin to take a personal inventory of your life. Not just the good stuff. Not just the bad stuff. Take a complete inventory. And sitting down with God. 
this requires time. This is something that requires time. And I, and I think it also requires, I think it also requires a notebook. That you sit down. Would you help me? Would you do this for me? This is what I'd like to ask you to do. Would you set aside a time each day for the next two weeks? We have this 40 days of prayer that we're doing. Would you set aside a portion of that time that you're going to pray and get your notebook and simply pray that prayer? Lord, search my heart and show me. Show me your ways. Expose to me where I'm selfish, where I'm self-centered, where I'm fearful. Show me your ways, Lord. And this is what I think you'll experience. I think that as you pray and as you ask God, I don't think you have to come up with stuff. I think if you'll pray and you'll ask God, Lord, would you search my heart? I think, and you sit down, and I would encourage you just to jot down the things that the Holy Spirit says to you. Doing really good on da 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 da. Thank you, Lord. Because God doesn't just tell us the negative things. When we spend time, when He searches our hearts, He tells us those things about us that delight Him. But along the way, He's also going to point out some things to you that need adjusted, some mid course change. Here's what you need to do. When He starts showing you, you have a resentment towards another person. If you make excuses for that, that's where you're stopping. Here's where we end. I don't know why God don't speak to me. Well, he's talking to you. I want to encourage you to agree with the Holy Spirit when he speaks to you. Just listen to his voice. And for the next two weeks, just journal in a notebook the things that God is saying to you. Lord, search my heart. He might say to some of you, you know what? You've treated a family member wrong. Oh, Lord. But they're a jerk. Not as big a jerk as you are, he just said. That's for somebody. Huh? Not as big a jerk as you are. You're right, Lord. Now, what is he going to say? When he searches our heart, he's going to prompt you that you're going to go to someone. And you're going to say, you know what? I've been mistreating you. And I want to ask you to forgive me. I'm telling you, there's going to be some breakthroughs that are going to take place in people's hearts. And what you're going to find is your joy is going to come back. Your peace is going to come back. You know the thrill of when you were first born again? Like you were just so free. Like if you'll do this, this simple exercise, allowing God to search our hearts, once we do this, then what's going to happen is on a daily basis, what we really need to do is before we go to bed every night, say, Lord, search my heart. Lord, I want to do an inventory of what's there. And give me the grace and the strength to allow you to work. I give my life to you. Give me the grace and strength to do your will. To have your attitude, to have your heart. And what you're going to find is you're going to lose weight. Okay? You may not physical weight. Some of you may. Some of you may be eat, overeating because we're stressed. But you're going to lose a weight that you're carrying around. You're going to lose a heaviness that you're carrying around. And what you're going to find is you're going to find that God's not angry with you and he's not disappointed in you, but he's passionately loves you, okay? He's not going to reject you. You're going to find that he accepts you more than what you could ever have imagined, okay? My prayer for you is that you will pray, that you'll pray those soul-searching prayers. Lord Jesus, as we finish our morning together, move on to the next part, I pray that each person here at Lighthouse, 
under the sound of my voice, would on a daily basis for the next two weeks pray a soul-searching prayer, inviting you, O God, to search our hearts and to try us. Lord, I pray as they write down those things that you've spoken to them, and as they go and make some of those things right, forgive others, release others, I pray that each of them would lose a weight. The weights that weigh them down, the weights that trouble their heart. And I pray that they'd be able to run the race that you've called them to run with patience and endurance. Now, God, we bless your name, and I thank you, God, that you will not reject us. Your word says that those who come to you, you will no wise cast out, that you'll receive us, Lord. Lord Jesus paid the penalty for every, every sin I've ever committed, every selfish act, every selfish deed. And Lord, as I allow you to search my heart, what's really happening is I'm being transformed into the image of your dear son. So Lord, do your work within us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Blessings.